Bottled water is now the world's most consumed packaged drink. A $300 billion global market dominated by four multinational companies. One of the weird things about this is that, for example, in the United States, nearly two-thirds of the bottled water is taken from already treated municipal supplies. Daniel Jaffe of Portland State University in Oregon has written a book called Unbottled, The Fight Against Plastic Water and for Water Justice, and is with us now. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Thanks. It's great to be here with you. Very nice to talk to you. It's a controversial subject, of course, in New Zealand as elsewhere, and here billions of litres of water leave New Zealand for sale overseas. It might, of course, be going to places that need it. There are places that need to drink bottled water, but you depict that as a kind of a vicious cycle. Yes. That, well, so, you know, I, I, I say in the book that, um, you know, first off, I start by saying I confess that I'm old enough now to remember a time when this commodity of single-serve plastic bottled water essentially didn't exist. It was, you know, uh, a, a, a luxury commodity, a few liters per person per year, Perrier and heavy glass bottles. But we've sort of moved in the course of four decades to a very different situation where, you know, around the world, uh, uh, people are consuming very significant quantities. Here in the U in the U.S., we consume something like 180 liters per person per year. Um, and uh, so I look in the book at that sort of that riddle or that paradox of um, how we got there, particularly in countries with the privilege of access uh, to essentially mostly clean, uh, safe, very cheap, nearly free tap water 24-7. But right, as you say, um, bottled and packaged water uh, raises different questions in settings um, across the global south, for example, developing world, uh, where, you know, for a variety of reasons, governments um, are or have been unable or unwilling to provide um, to extend pipe water service or clean pipe water service to the majority of the population. And there, um, you know, we see sort of a growing dependence on packaged water uh, and uh, raising real concerns, I think, and what I find fascinating, and when I dug into the research for this book, um, I was really struck by the way that bottled water and packaged water, not just a controversial product with lots of well-known negative environmental impacts, but the ways that it's connected to this really a social justice crisis of uneven access to safe and affordable water um, around the world and then here at home in the U.S. You mean that by providing certain places with bottled water, it relieves them of the obligation of providing safe water. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, for example, um, I look here in the U.S., we have a situation and, and you know, compared to Kiwis, um, Americans are, are much more substantial bottled water drinkers, right? I think that I looked at the latest uh, data on per capita consumption and Kiwis consume something like 27 liters per person per year. So much less, much more of a, a tap water culture. But in places, say the U.S., for example, we've got a situation where nearly nine in 10 people consume some bottled water. And now one in five uh, people in the U.S. Uh, completely avoid the tap for all drinking. They get all of their plain water from a bottle, so shunning the tap. And the concern is that uh, at a certain point, um, the continued growth of bottled water 
its replacement of tap water for drinking weakens the political pressure, um, the political uh, impetus, if you will, to um, get the, the government to invest in maintaining and restoring public water systems. And we've really seen that it that it weakens the perceived urgency of, of fixing broken drinking water infrastructure and sort of feeds a kind of a vicious cycle of deterioration, distrust in tap water, and then disinvestment. That's the same argument, is it not? That's applied to the health system, for example. If people take out private health insurance, then they will undermine the commitment to fund the public health system. Yes, exactly. And so... um, Certainly, you know, you have to sort of look at you know, that there may be a tipping point right? at which a sufficient percentage of people opt out of the public system, the public provision of that of that service or that good and support for it weakens enough that the quality degrades. And I think, you know, healthcare is an interesting parallel. But when a good or a service essential for life is being provided mainly or mostly um, or even entirely by the market that is for profit, um, you know, access then, of course, becomes uh, premised on the ability to pay, and some percentage of the population is going to go without, in this case, clean water, a substance essential for life, which can obviously be deadly. So the concern of, of opponents to both the privatization of tap water uh, utilities around the world, but also um, the people criticizing it and, and, and opposing the spread, the global spread of bottled and packaged water is the... The fear of becoming dependent on the market for access to this substance essential for life, and while it might seem relatively cheap currently, um, we know that access to fresh water is uh, getting increasingly difficult, available fresh water is becoming more scarce, uh, and the the future of a bottled water world is is one that I think should um, fill us all with some concern. Although, if some parts of the world are going to become increasingly short of water, then maybe bottled water is the only answer. Well, that is the argument that the bottled and packaged water industry makes, particularly in regard to the global south or the developing world, right? They point to settings where um, tap water networks do not reach the large majority of the population and say, look, we are we are the, the solution to this problem, at least in the medium term. And, you know, um, those debates have made their way all the way up to the level of the standards underlying the um, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So there, uh, you know, people may be familiar with the Sustainable Development Goals, one of which Sustainable Development Goal 6 um, is about increasing the percentage of the world's population who has access to safe uh safe water, in particular, safe drinking water. And um, about six years ago, in 2017, there was a rather controversial decision made to reclassify bottled and packaged water as a so-called improved drinking water source for the purposes of governments meeting their obligations under the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Well, uh, on the one hand, you could say that is simply uh, a, a recognition of the existing reality in many places where a substantial percentage of the population doesn't have access to tap water and is relying on packaged water. But critics really assail that decision as granting governments effectively an escape clause, um, exempting them, giving them a permission slip to um, uh, uh, ignore their ability, their their, their obligations, excuse me, under the uh, SDGs to expand uh, water service. And I think there's a strong argument that um, 
packaged water, private packaged water should not substitute for uh, reinvestment in expanding uh, public water to the vast percentage of the public. It's a it's a public good. And I think um, it's going to require substantial public investment. Are people shunning the tap, as you put it, because because tap water is sometimes not high quality or because they've been led to distrust it? Yes, <laughs> the answer is both. Uh, and and that's you know one of the things I get into early in the book, which is you know what are the what are the causes for um, uh, people in say in wealthy nations who have access to relatively clean you know a universal near universal tap water? Why are we why are they turning away uh, from those tap water supplies, going out to the to the to the market, hauling these heavy cases of water from the store to the car, from the car to the home, uh, serving their guests bottled water, etc. And it is a combination of um, opportunistic marketing by the industry taking advantage of sort of shifting social trends right to income families people increasingly demanding convenience um but also sort of ideas about hydration and fitness and health um but critics argue and there is substantial evidence to 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 confirm this that in addition to that the industry has um also either subtly or overtly engaged in an effort to persuade consumers that their tap water is less than safe uh, to drink. Not all companies, not all the time, uh, but it is quite clear. Even just this year, there's a company here in the U.S., a bottled water company that whose ad portrays a, a corroded pu- a public water pipe and says something to the effect of your, your tap water could be contaminated with bacteria and heavy metals. And so um, that so-called war on tap water uh, does lead increasing percentage of the population to fear the tap, and that is the main reason that folks doubt their tap water and turn away from it. Ironically, it turns out that um, certainly here in the U.S. and Canada, and I suspect that the same is true in in New Zealand, that the regulatory regimes for tap water are far stricter and far more stringent. The testing, the um, controls are far more stringent, and um, that bottled water tends to um, be l- more lightly regulated, not always in terms of the contaminants it's allowed to have, but in terms of the enforcement and the inspection regime. So that very often consumers are unable to find out basic information about whether bottled water has had contamination instances, whether it has been recalled, etc. Um, what we do know comes from uh, peer-reviewed studies uh, among which are studies documenting that the microplastics problem is more significant in bottled water. Someone consuming solely bottled water in the U.S. at least would consume 22 times more of those microplastic fragments than someone uh, consuming only tap water. And there are also leaching issues as well with phthalates and other substances. Um, so it's an uneven playing field, I guess, is what I'm saying between the public water authorities who are required to be quite transparent and quite rigorous and the bottled water industry uh, which is often regulated as a foodstuff and um, and has a weaker regulatory regime. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, there is a, there's a section of society that is opposed to uh, fluoridation of the water, and I mean, already I'm getting texts saying, you know, we don't want that stuff, and that's why we drink bottled water because we don't want the additives. Um, they obviously don't care about the bits of plastic. They just don't want the chlorine and the fluoride. What do you say to them? 
Well, uh, it's a it's a fraught minefield to wade to to wade into Whoa, around fluoridation. I know, I know, I don't, I don't really want to wade into it. I'm simply pointing out that there are people who use that as a reason for drinking bottled water. Absolutely, and I and 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 certainly, folks, folks ultimately, consumers ultimately get, get to make their own decisions. One of the questions is, what are the costs to society from the um, the rapid spread and the widespread um, uh, growth of a product that has, for one thing, a far far it costs dramatically more, hundreds to thousands of times more per liter, but also has a dramatically higher environmental and ecological footprint. So studies show that the um, energy impact of a liter of bottled water is between 1,000 and 2,000 2, times that of a liter of public tap water. Um, the overall environmental impact, the newer studies calculates somewhere between 1,400 and 3,500 times more uh, per liter. And um, and then, of course, there's the, the, the plastic pollution crisis. And I think because you said it right in the introduction, bottled water is the world's most consumed packaged beverage. It leaves the others in the dust, actually, uh, alcoholic beverages, soft drinks, etc. And that means that it is responsible for the single largest slice of that. Really, I, I think we have to call it a global plastic pollution emergency, 600 to 700 billion single serving plastic containers uh, being disposed of every year. Uh, there, most of them are, the great majority are entering either landfills or entering the marine environment or aquatic uh, environment. And, uh, you know, I'm, I know you've covered this issue, uh, but to understand that um, those bottles are essentially half of the marine, uh, the, the beverage bottles are half of the marine pollution problem at this point. And we will never solve the global single use plastics problem without addressing uh, single-use plastic bottled water. What if the containers for bottled water were not an environmental hazard? What if they weren't plastic? Or what if you could recycle them indefinitely, which is unrealistic at this point? You know, how much of a problem is the way it's delivered rather than what it is? The industry is pretty wedded to single-use plastic at this point as its business model. But your question is really important. There is a campaign that is being launched. It actually just took off here in the U.S. It's being led by a um, an organization called Story of Stuff Project. And it's essentially a campaign to get the big uh, soda makers, Pepsi and Coca-Cola, who are sort of two of the major bottled water makers, uh, to st- uh, basically to to push them to change all their beverages to refillable, returnable uh durable plastic containers. There has been a lot of research done on this, and the estimates are the group Oceana, Ocean Group, Advocacy Group, said that um, if we converted the entire global beverage industry to those returnable, reusable plastic containers that could be used, say, 40 or 50 times each, it would cut um, raw material use and waste by 40% and greenhouse gas emissions by half. So that's pretty significant. And um, but I should also note that that is far, still far more environmental impact than the impact of of simply providing tap water. Uh, and so that's one way to think about it. You've done a, a study of a couple of controversial uh, bottled water situations in the States. But I just want to talk about Flint, Michigan, first of all, which, of course, had the toxic lead and bacterial contamination in 2015. And naturally enough, the people of Flint 
got access to free bottled water as an emergency measure. What's the situation now? Flint is, and I'm sure your listeners have followed the crisis, the disaster in Flint, um, and it really has called attention across the country and across the world to, you know, as, as sort of the tip of the iceberg in terms of discovering sort of new crises and problems with tap water. But the status in Flint right now is that essentially 95 plus percent of the lead laden damaged pipes, the corroded pipes have been removed, the uh, service lines have been removed from the ground. The public authorities argue that the tap water is safe to drink. However, um, for seven years, people have been um, dependent essentially on single-use bottled water, and um, residents. And why would they trust? Why would they trust the water supply again? Exactly, both pipes and trust in Flint have been severely corroded, and uh, and they don't. And in fact, um, uh, uh, activists and re- uh, residents in in Flint say. There are pipes within our homes that are still damaged and contaminated. Our internal appliances are still uh, contaminated. And huge numbers of people are dependent on bottled water, which for seven years was distributed free either by the state or by donors or by private companies. That ended in last December. And so people are now essentially, if they want to turn to bottled water, they're consume, they're purchasing their own. And that, I think, is emblematic of a situation that I can talk about, at least here in the U.S., where... Um, Paradoxically, and contrary to sort of the conventional narrative, you know, where people think of bottled water as kind of a discretionary luxury product, you know, consumed by folks with some disposable income, it turns out that that is uh, a whole raft of studies show that that is exactly the opposite of what is actually the truth right now. Bottled water has become essentially a product consumed um, dramatically more by uh, poor people and by communities of color here in the U.S. Because and, their um, water, because their tap water supplies it, have had underinvestment and are not good quality. Exactly. I mean, so, that's a know, vicious cycle, right? It, it it absolutely is. Here in the U.S., we've had a 50-year trajectory of federal disinvestment in maintaining our public water systems, cut something by 80%, sort of pushes the responsibility down onto local governments, local cities, local councils. Many of them do a fantastic job, uh, but there is a there is an increasing backlog of unfunded maintenance and pipes are corroding, and in particular in communities with high rates of poverty and high percentages of communities of color, that investment just isn't happening. And so we do see these crises like Flint and like Jackson, Mississippi, and other, uh, a lot of rural communities around the U.S. and it, with contaminated groundwater, uh, particularly like in, in um, predominantly Black and Hispanic uh, uh, cities and areas. And it is no wonder then, you know, the vast majority of, of tap water here in the U.S. is safe to drink and meets all regulations. But the 7 to 8% of systems that have recurring violations are overwhelmingly concentrated in those places. And so I think it's rather than sort of focus on people misinterpreting the data, I think it's a rational reading of that uneven distribution of, of risks that people are making. And that's why um, I argue and many advocates argue that only by our federal government or other national governments substantially reinvesting in rebuilding and maintaining and restoring public drinking water systems to trustworthiness, um, can we sort of interrupt that vicious cycle of distrust and and deterioration and disinvestment so that everyone, again, can... uh, and can have trust in those tap water supplies uh, before we have 
a sufficient percentage of the population opt out to the point where we lose all political pressure to keep up those systems, to keep them safe for drinking. So you talk about social movements challenging bottled water, but but it's a it's a tricky issue, right? Because there are parts of the world where they need to drink bottled water. So who's going to decide who doesn't need to and shouldn't? And who's going to find the money for the local bodies to spend on the infrastructure when certainly in New Zealand and I'm thinking in most places around the world at the moment, there isn't any extra money. Ah, well, that's a contentious claim uh, 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 because uh, certainly if you look around the world, uh, uh, the money is there. The money is there to uh, uh, bail out banking systems uh, during uh, economic crises. Uh, the money is there to um, uh, prop up banks, etc. Um, but but to, to go to your point about the social movements, which I think, you know, is really the heart of this book. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't emphasize the fact that, you know, while this growth of bottled and packaged water around the world might seem inexorable or unstoppable, movements that are challenging this product are actually succeeding in many places, both in the global north and in the south. They um, have opposed both the groundwater extraction by the industry and managed to block its access to um, new sources or expanded sources. I give a couple of case studies, one in Canada, deep story of Canada and the US, where these coalitions of local residents, farmers, small businesses, and crucially indigenous communities and indigenous activists have managed to either um, completely block proposals or block expansion. And then on the... Is that because, sorry to interrupt, is that because the company is not paying enough for the water or is it because of the principle? Because those are two different things. Uh, what has in those particular cases, one in Oregon, one in Ontario, Canada, um, what I found motivated the, the activists and the local opponents, many of whom were apolitical up until that point, and these coalitions crossed lines of left and right and urban and rural um, and what what I, what seemed to be the, the the crystallizing factor was concern about protection of and the conservation of local water. The, the sense that water it, they're not making any more of it. It's becoming increasingly precious, and that folks, oh, by overwhelming majorities, wanting to keep that water locally for local uses. So you had almost 70% of the voters in the county in Oregon that I studied voted for a ballot measure uh, to ban all water bottling uh, in their county. In Canada, um, near, uh, nearly two-thirds of the of the um, people in Ontario supported an end to groundwater taking by the bottled water industry completely within 10 years. And so you get these majoritarian positions, actually, um, where uh, there's a surprising amount of consensus around uh, an understanding, whatever people think about climate change, that water is becoming increasingly precious. And I think that you know, there's some fascinating parallels to New Zealand. You know, uh, we had the privilege of spending a little over a year in New Zealand recently, and I was fascinated to read the news and see the evolution of these issues and these conflicts around um, in places like Canterbury and, and in the Bay of Plenty around um, a cons uh, consents for uh, water bottling. And I know you had a big court decision recently shutting down one of those consents. Um, these coalitions of folks concerned about that. And the one other thing I'll just add about these movements, and I know that New Zealand is active here too, is what I call the reclaiming the tap 
facet of the opposition, which is this constellation, really a panoply of local efforts at the city government level, local government level, nonprofits, universities, um, even private businesses, basically pushing, building out more points of access to free, clean tap water in public spaces, water fountains, bottle refilling stations. You've got um, you've got Refill NZ, I believe they're uh, pushing this. Uh, there is a, an app, a phone app called Refill, uh, where people can find their nearest refill point. And that is spreading like wildfire, um, particularly in places where tap water is safe and clean. And the industry has perked up and realized this. And uh, one report I just read yesterday said the increased use of re refillable bottles represents an existential threat to the packaged water market. They are concerned about young people turning away from uh, bottled water. And it is starting to show up in sales statistics. Um, New Zealand is projected to ha have a falling bottled water market. The U.S. is stagnant. Uh, fell last year by one percent for the first time in, in in over a decade. So these 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 trends are actually a counter trend to the things we discussed earlier. And I think that's why I found some real cause for hope in the research for this book, um, because I think these movements are revalorizing and and uh, and essentially reclaiming the importance of a shared public sphere, a shared good that we and our forebears really have paid for in the form of water rates and, and taxes, and, and, and it should be uh, protected and, and, um, and revitalized. Did you ever drink bottled water? Never. I could count probably on the fingers of one hand uh, the times that I did so in, in my life in places where the tap water was potable. But of course, you raised the, the concern earlier, right? There is a real conundrum in parts of the world where, for whatever reason, majority of tap water supply is not currently uh, potable. And there, I think, you know, to return to your earlier query, um, I think we need to be looking at global uh, global questions of global economic justice and um, and 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 really redistribution you know the money the money is there it's unevenly distributed and governments and uh, international institutions need to prioritize it and i think if we um see that the threat of relegating really a swath of humanity uh both in in in, in the rich world and in in the global south to consigning those people to live permanently in a costly packaged water world morally economically and environmentally, I think we can't afford that future. Somebody has texted me, this is from your part of the world, really. In Seattle, they say, Trader Joe's has had stacks of bottled water stored in a huge window south-facing sun <laughs> all day. I visit family there, and for 10 years I've complained. <laughs> I don't think he's suggesting that the bottles have been there for 10 years, but for 10 years I have complained to store people water sitting in plastic bottles in the sun for people to purchase in the belief that the water is safe. That's the, the ridiculousness of it, isn't it, really? Mm. Yeah, and studies actually do show that in under conditions of high heat uh, and long storage, um, contrary to some claims, bottled, uh, the, even the PET plastic bottles, which are generally considered more stable, do leach substances, phthalates, antimony, both um, uh, estrogenic 
compounds. And so, you know, the, the leaching question is, is, is a real one as well. Um, and, and, and as I said before, it's, it's very, very difficult to find out, um, good information about the content and, and the contaminants contained in that bottled water. It's an uneven playing field. And, and so I think, um, that is another area for, um, for attention. Just as a matter of interest, your previous book was about fair trade coffee, um, about which he had some criticisms because, you know, it promised that, essentially it promised a living wage for the growers and maybe uh, that uh, was in fact uh, not what happened did you with that book affect any changes in the situation do you think um well i think it's fair to say but i was i was at the time and i, I guess i still am a supportive critic uh, uh, sure. uh, a, a, or a critical supporter of of fair trade, and my concern was, uh, you know, was it returning? Was it meeting its promises uh, 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 of providing a living wage? And I found in my study in in, in rural Mexico of small indigenous uh, coffee producing uh, communities that um, it uh, it was it, 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 the com- the families who had access to those higher value fair trade markets um, did fare better on a, a range of different. Um, measures but that it, it it did make a difference but not enough of a transformative difference and that really was down to um the power of uh large retailers and in setting the standards and in setting the prices in the fair trade market for coffee at least i'm just wondering judging by the tone of some of the text that i am receiving i'm wondering if there was if there's a halfway house in other words you don't have to put all your trust in the tap water um, and at the same time you don't need to buy bottled mm. water you can there, there is you can get a filter you can well, get that's a, absolutely a, right and so you know it's not a, a mm. black or white choice in that sense is it not at all and in fact i think i think it's important to draw to draw a line through that black and through that gray area and say um is it essentially modifying the public good of tap water in a way that makes it more palatable or is it entering the private market and i think what you're talking about um installing those you know often what's recommended for folks who don't like the taste or smell of their tap water is to install one of those on faucet point of use filters um get you there are certification agencies to make sure that it is going to remove the substances you're concerned about like lead and those can be quite effective um, people can also simply let their water stand for a couple of hours, and the chlorine uh, smell can often will often uh, evaporate. But yes, filtration is really important, and I think the industry actually. When I I read a lot of market reports, you know, and that would normally put folks to sleep, but lately these market reports have actually perked me up because the industry is ex- getting extremely concerned. Well, one thing they're concerned about is young people turning away from plastic water. The other thing they're concerned about is. Um, the competition from from filtration from those refrigerators that have filters from the on faucet filter market from um soda stream and other you know carbonation type things so they are concerned about people returning to modified tap water and i think that is an absolutely appropriate um response and it is one that continues to keep people connected to the shared public good of uh public tap water, which I think, if you think about it, is really the only thing that local governments do and provide that is absolutely essential for life. And it has been a central function of local government now for over a century in most places, most parts of the world. And um, that that legacy and that commitment to public health 
um, coming from the public sector, um, un, unaffected by the profit motive, where uh, local councils, for example, have their only essential motive is to provide good quality service. That is a precious gift um, and a precious shared resource that I think we really need to protect. There's always someone, Daniel, um, messing with the uh, the principal proposition. And here's a text, and it says, it takes one litre of groundwater to make one litre of bottled water, but in Canterbury, it takes 250 litres of water to make one litre of milk, which is then turned to powder by burning coal. <laughs> From the perspectives of value add for products, allocation of scarce water and efficiency of use, bottled water is surely a better option than making milk. <laughs> Which is an interesting <laughs> argument, right? Well, so I, I would contest. I, w- I would contest the claim of a one-to-one relationship. That's that. That does. That's not true. Even the industry acknowledges that it takes more than one liter of uh, of water to produce one liter of bottled water. Um, Many critics say it's at a minimum two to one ratio. And if people are using uh, reverse osmosis filtration, which is the way that most tap water gets refiltered to be turned into bottled water, the ratio there can there's so much water loss. The ratio can be nine liters to one finished liter. So, um, you know, and 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 the industry, I mean, you raise an interesting point, which is in the industry raises this claim um, in response to its critics, especially around groundwater extraction, right, which is they say, we take a vanishingly minuscule fraction of the total water, uh, that the, the, the concern is in the wrong place. And it, while true in absolute terms, um, the, uh, the, the response is that actually what matters m- far more than the uh, the aggregate amount of you know, say they say we're point zero 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 two percent of all the water taken out of the groundwater in New Zealand. Um, what's much more interesting and much more relevant, I think, is what percentage of a local stream's resources are being extracted. What percentage of a local aquifer's water is being taken? And there, I think, around the world, we can see some real concerns by um, local communities, farmers, um, people with wells, private wells, and others that um, that high volume pumping really is having significant ecological and um, uh, impacts on local residents, on farmers, on on household wells. Um, And it's a tough one because the companies are deep pocketed. They have their own scientists, they have their own lawyers. And it's tough for, say, a grassroots community group to to compete in the realm of of scientific claims. Right. So it's it's difficult there. But um, I think it's I think it is absolutely relevant for local communities to raise the question of um, impacts on local water resources, which in some places may be quite significant. Excellent to talk to you. Thank you. I've been talking to Daniel Jaffe, whose book's called Unbottled, The Fight Against Plastic Water and for Water Justice.